Washed Up Emo sponsors New Belgium Brewing are celebrating their 30th anniversary as a company. To celebrate, they're releasing Wild Ride Amber IPA, a happy tribute to their iconic fat tire. Even better, New Belgium Brewing are giving away bikes and gear all year. Find out more information by visiting newbelgium.com. Do you ever wonder if your favorite band is emo? Tired of being in the same conversation with friends? Not knowing if you're listening to post-hardcore, screamo, emo revival, emo emo violence, even ska. We're We're here here to to help. help. The Emo Council is here staffed and ready for any question you may have. Hey, Emo Council, just wondering if Green Day was considered an emo band. Thanks. Green Day is not an emo band. Okay. From the creators of Washed Up Emo, isthisbandemo.com offers the definitive answer to the only important question of your day. Hey, is this been emo? Hello and welcome to episode 148 of the Washed Up Emo podcast. I am Tom Mullen from WashedUpEmo.com. Today, we welcome Matt Traxler, guitarist from Branson. The band out of Cleveland was on Deep Elm Records and the Militia Group back in the day, and they recently reissued some lost demos through Matt's label, Steadfast Records. It was super fun talking to Matt, and a band that if you didn't realize was around then or now... It's worth going back and listening to their discography. Special thanks to the Patreon supporters. If you want to support, every dollar goes toward the production of this podcast. Head on over to patreon.com slash washedupemo. To those folks that are supporting, thank you. Thank you so much. This is episode 148 of the Washed Up Emo podcast with Matt Traxler from Branson. Something common. Can you guess what it okay. is? Oh man. Um It's music related. Okay. Music related and uh is it anything around the city? Is that uh what no. or it has nothing to do with the city? Okay, all right. Um man. I don't know. We were both I, on I, the I emo diaries. Oh yes, really? Yeah. That's awesome. What uh what what which volume? I was on seven, which is okay. a little bit late. What? Which one were you guys on? We were on. It was either two or three. Um, yeah, I, I've got remember. a copy of it somewhere here, but that's, yeah. Um, but 
Yeah, oh, that's awesome. So I, now I want to I want to go back and check this out because I I definitely missed a lot of the later ones. Oh, a lot um, of people did. Don't worry about it. Yeah, there's and, no. Uh, yeah, I want to go back and check it out. Though. That's awesome. And that was uh, I, that was our like the first kind of. It, so I think we had worked out our our deal for Deep Elm Two. We had put out our first record ourselves, and. Deep Elm licensed that from us and we had signed with them for a few more records. But that Emo Diary song was like the first thing we actually did specifically for Deep Elm. And I just remember being so like, it was the fucking coolest thing. Like the first volume was like Jimmy World and Jejun and like, I just remember it being this like, holy shit, man, this is the coolest thing that's ever happened to us. Um, and just being super, super excited about it. And, uh, yeah, so that was fun. That was really cool to, uh, to get to be a part of that. And there were some other really awesome bands, a part of that series. And it just feels, feels super cool to be, you know, to be a part of that and connected to it. And so that's awesome. Obviously Cleveland, I think based on me looking at, you know, flyers and tour dates and things that, well, you know, bands would definitely come through. Was there a venue? Was there a person? Was there a record shop that started you down the path of, you know, punk and hardcore and indie? Yeah. I mean, I, I grew up in a uh, pretty small suburb without access to, to getting to all these shows. So I kind of had a late start. I found out about all these bands in like eighth grade, ninth grade, maybe. And couldn't really do anything about it other than like, I just had all these like copy tapes of like dead milkman and minor threat and just stuff that I was just like, Oh, this is the coolest thing. I was super pumped about it, but had no idea there were even shows, um, that that scene really existed outside these kind of few tapes and CDs I had been given. Um, but yeah, there was, uh, I kind of found out, I'd say right after high school, um, the hardcore hardcore scene and just kind of fell in love with that and just kind of went a hundred miles an hour into this exciting, amazing new world of shows in people's basements. And a lot of the shows were at YMCA's and these weird like community hall things. So it was just like this exciting new world that I had like previously no, no connection to other than I knew I loved music and I love this, this like angry, fun punk music that I just found out about. And it was like this awesome world that it, it just like, I was instantly welcomed in. Everybody was cool. Everybody was nice. Everybody made zines. Everybody had like screen printed shit. And like, it was just the most creative, like it, it was just exciting. And like, it, there was so much community and just caring and these like vegan potlucks and these big get togethers just to fucking do it. And it was it was exciting. Were you playing guitar at that time yet, or did you get into that later? I'm trying to think. Yeah, so I, I started playing guitar in my teens um, very minimally. Like, I, I, I had a couple lessons here and there, um, but I never, like, practiced or wrote music or did anything until, uh, until I kind of found that scene. Um, Mike, who... Um, who's in Branson, vocalist, uh, guitarist for Branson, um, was in a hardcore band called Six Feet Deep that I was good friends with. Um, and they ended up inviting me to be in the band. And um, at that point, I 
like I had a guitar, but I didn't know how to play really? at all. Um, yeah. And so it was just like, I wanted it. I wanted to do it. And I, I just did it. Mike uh, taught me almost everything I know, I think, um, when it comes to guitar um, and was just super patient with me and got me to a point where I had those songs memorized. And then from there, I just kind of kept going with it. And um, That's cool that he like you didn't even yeah, you didn't even know what the fuck you were doing. And he still wanted you in the band and taught and taught you everything. Yeah, it was amazing. He he has done so much for me um, musically as far as that stuff. He's one of my best friends to to this day. You know, this was over twenty years ago. Is he older um, than you? But, yeah, uh, just a couple years. Okay. Um, yeah, I'm not sure exact uh, months. And it's now so instant that how many communications did we have before we just started talking? And think of right. like how many totally. like it was a text, it was an email, it was like back and forth, and and then finally we did it. And I just think there's you, you and 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 Mike and and those guys. You just back then, I think it's a, just an interesting moment because it was pre-internet. You yes, there was maybe an email, but you were. It didn't seem slow as maybe people thought would think now. It still felt like things were moving. Do you do? Do you agree? Yeah. It, oh, absolutely. Yeah. It was. It, 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 you're right because when I look back on it and think about it, the the method of doing everything it, it seemed slow and it sounds slow. But the reality of it was, it was the same thing. You just instead of having like a database or a website of contacts, you had a, a shitty phone book with a bunch of penciled in numbers that people gave you, or a copy of the uh, Maximum Rock and Roll book that had all the DIY venues, but that was how you did it. You just called people and they said, who are you? And you say, we're some shitty band from Cleveland and we want to play there. <laughs> I'm like, okay, well be here on Thursday at seven and you can have a slide. <laughs> um, so it's just like, that was just what you did. So instead of sending that email, not, it, it, you know, back then you would just call somebody that had no idea who you were. Now you email somebody that has no idea who you are. <laughs> And there's no inflection, you know. If if you and I got like if you and I had started talking back and forth before the interview, this conversation is different. Even something that simple. Oh yeah. And I, I just it's yeah it's, yeah. I actually I love the phone. I I love being able to. I mean, I like doing podcasts, but I like the the back and forth and the and sure there was bullshit going on. Sure there was sketchy shit. Sure there was crap, but. There was the the thing of like you saw someone, you spoke, and I don't know. It, it's there was another. It's it it like filled a part of my body that I don't feel unless I'm at a show or in one of those environments. Right. Yeah, it, it, it's a very unique thing to, at least from my perspective, to to that almost to that specific scene. I think like just the kind of DIY music scene in general it shares this. I'm sure across almost all genres, but that just that, that community and that like everybody's doing this for the same reasons. It's fucking fun and you need to do it. A lot of people need to do it. I need to do it. You need this like creative output. And then here you are in a room with all these other people that are just as excited about doing that with you. There's like this, this energy that you just feed off each other with. And it's super cool. The best part of, you know, being on tours just and playing our shows and just getting to hang out and talk to people and, um, you know, make new friends and hear about 
you know, hear somebody's story. People are pretty willing to share stories with you when you've connected with them in some way. And I always appreciated that and just always felt like that was really cool. Like it's this, this type of sharing that you might not get with a complete stranger in any other context. But you've got that t-shirt on or you've got that, that connection and someone's going to come up to you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The, the, I have no idea how many, um, how many times um, that, that sort of connection has been made just from a t-shirt or, you know, whatever it is, a sticker on somebody's car or something like, Oh shit, you and like four of my friends are the only people I know of that are into this thing. And like, that's, that's, that's a cool feeling. What were some of those first sort of moments when you guys said, all right, let's go and do this, you know, for real. Yeah. I, I, I very, very vividly remember this, uh, this turning point. I had had this weird, uh, this weird breakup and I moved out They're all of weird. the, like, tw- <laughs> of course. Yeah, absolutely. They are. <laughs> but I moved out of the like 20 year old first party house with friends and moved into my grandmother's, uh, house. My grandfather had passed away and I moved in to, uh, just kind of get away from things and clear my head. And then also kind of, uh, you know, help out with some stuff that she may need. So it, I moved here and it was super weird cause it was 20 minutes away from any of my friends. And I had this shitty job that I hated and we had just started doing Branson full time where it was like, we're going to do this. We're going to bust our ass and we're going to try to make this uh, a thing. Um, and so I was this thing and I'm, this job I had was just miserable. It was in this weird factory and it was just all these fucking racist, shitty people. And it, it was just depressing. And we had this practice where things felt good. And we were talking about how much we wanted to just do the band. And we're like, nobody's tied to anything. Nobody has kids. Nobody's got a house. Let's just fucking go. Let's do it. Let's set up a tour. We've set up long weekend shows. So let's make it happen. Excuse me. So we, um, we just kind of decided to do it. We all quit our jobs and we just went at it a hundred percent. Um, and that was cool and it was terrifying and it was, uh, shockingly different than I think we all expected it to be. I don't know what we expected it to be, but it wasn't, um, it wasn't easy. It was a lot of work. And I think maybe that was probably the, the biggest part, but just that adjustment from being, you know, 20 year old kids punking around and you get together twice a week and play shows, you know, every weekend to all four of you just living together in a eight foot long van for months at a time. <laughs> so it was a, a new dynamic, I think for all of us to adjust to <clears throat> because specifically our, uh, our first tour, we went out three months, nonstop. And it, I think it almost destroyed us. Um, I, I don't know if the entire thing was with Appleseed cast, but a big portion of it was, I, I want to say all of it was, but that was our first, uh, full U S tour. And, uh, it was awesome. We made really good friends with, uh, Appleseed. They were, uh, just starting out then, um, their wars had just come out. And um, we had just put out Letterbox, so it was kind of right around the same time. Both of us were kind of starting out and um, had a blast, man. We, I just remember very, very vividly just these 
these long drives hanging out with um with us in the van and we'd get to the venue and we were all so excited to see the Appleseed guys because we were sick of each other. <laughs> so we'd hang out with them all night and then same thing the next day, all piled back in the van. And I don't mean that we didn't get along. We were awesome, great friends, but it was cool to get a break and uh, have some friends to kind of look forward to seeing outside the van. But What were things that you learned? What were things like, I'm sure you realized it was more work. I'm sure you realized that you were bored for 23 and a half hours um, until you played. big one. Yes. Bored yeah. off your mind. That was that was the big one. Um, I, what else we learned? Um, some venues are just really, really shitty, and um, not in a, a, a divey way. In a, they're out for themselves and taking everything they can um, without any regard to the bands at all. So that that was. I, I think I didn't really expect that. I think we had always been lucky up to that point where we hadn't been screwed over by venues and we just sort of expected, you know, everybody's doing this for the same reason we are and uh, not trying to screw anybody over. But I, and, and not to say that that happened a lot, but it, it happened a couple of times where I'm like, oh shit, that's weird. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I, I think the biggest thing we learned was that we just fucking loved doing it and we we're going to keep doing it at all costs and keep trying to make it happen because it felt like the right thing to do for all of us. Um, what were some things that happened that sort of had that you felt like, all right, this is going right. You know, I think just playing those shows, just getting feedback from people that are at the show for whatever reason, they, they never heard of us, but they heard of Appleseed or, they their friend's band was playing and they came and getting those connections like it just felt so awesome to and not in a like being being praised like hey like your band that type of thing but just this way of like oh this is cool we can go do this this is sustainable um you know in a way that we can go out and we can um you know somehow live this is our job we're gonna make this our job and we're gonna make sure we can somehow live i don't know how we did it in hindsight because <laughs> we never made any money but we somehow scraped by um i know we all had jobs in between every tour um but it, it was uh it, it, and so that was another thing was you know figuring out how much um you could stretch yourself financially was pretty big i think it taught us all a lot about how to manage money because we had so little of it and we were okay with that because we loved what we were doing. We, we had a blast. And as long as we had enough to get to the next show, um, we were happy. And if we came home from a tour and we could actually pay our rent with leftover money or something or not use a credit card to print T-shirts, like we were so pumped when that would happen. <laughs> so I think it was just these like these small things that that took like being a a full-time band from a, a sort of fantasy or a myth to something that seemed tangible, but we really had to, to make it work. We had to focus on it and it, it wasn't something that was just going to fall in our laps and we we're, were just all of a sudden going to be everybody's favorite band and uh, not have to work for it. it. It was something that we saw as, attainable and so we just started working for it and because you didn't have myspace likes to look up or pure volume plays 
uh, or Facebook or Twitter or, DM, or re- retweets. Like, could you tell anything was changing? <laughs> um, like when you roll you into what? a town, I, you're like, I don't know how many fucking people are going to be here. <laughs> right, right. That was always, always a thing. And anytime there were times when we were surprised at how many people were there and we didn't know why or what happened. And it wasn't a, uh, was like a, a an ongoing thing like we we're just getting huge it's like we we played here once and then we came back and there were like three times as many people but we were headlining we couldn't figure out anything so yeah that that piece was always missing it, it never made sense but i don't know i think that there was a uh this this sort of network it, that existed before the internet of you know going to shows and that's how you heard about the other shows and knowing the bands and knowing the local bands that open for the bands that you never heard of, it might be awesome. And like it, that kind of network where it was just from being in it and being there and being a part of it that you knew about it. And it wasn't like this, this like secret cool club. It was just, that was where everything was. And that's where people were handing out flyers for the, the next shows coming up. And it, it was just this, this super cool world of, uh, you know, everybody wanted this thing to happen and they made it happen. And it was so cool. <laughs> yeah. There was a, there was a show that I had booked. Um, I, I booked saves a day at the pizza restaurant I worked at, uh, as through being cool was coming out and we literally flyered one boy sets fire show in a, in a town 30 miles away. That's all I did. I didn't do anything. There was no, there was no flyer, no ad. Just I flyered one show with kids walking out, and we sold it out. Like you know, two hundred fifty kids came. But that's like it was like a. I think that still happens with our phone. That still happens, and it's awesome. But it's just it's cool that you guys were going to that one venue, and then the next time you come back, there's maybe twenty people, and the next time, and I think there was still a patience to it, and. Some people, I think, maybe didn't have that, or they weren't, you know, willing to do that. But the 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 work and the the people that you met, I'm sure there were shitty venues, but then there was that great venue that taught you something, or the band you were with, like you talked about Appleseed Cast, and I think that that interaction was something that I don't know how much yes you'd still do it with your phone, but I'm still because I'm old, I still think there was something deeper that was happening without the noise. It was a different way of connecting with music. Everything about it was different because not only was it not that, that uh, internet and social media aspect to it then, but there was also the physical media aspect of it. You're and right. That like getting a CD and, you know, now there's, there's, I, I love it. I love that I can listen to any record anytime that I want on demand wherever I am, but there's that, that connection you have there. There's records that mean so much more to me because of where I was at a certain time. And that physical, like holding it, taking it out of the jacket or opening that, that CD booklet and reading something and finding like, what did he say here? And like, Oh fuck, that's really, that's what I hope he said. there. (laughs) And like, you get that connection and you, there's a moment that I, I think you kind of miss with a lot of the way we consume music today. Um, 
not always. I still buy records and still buy a lot of records. I miss them, the but... unknown. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, get it. The, you know what? The, perfect example of that was the, uh, I don't know if you are a fan of the band Low. I was really excited for their new record to oh, come totally. out. Oh, um, totally. And it was late getting to me. And it was streaming. I wanted to listen to it so bad, but I wanted to listen to it on the record. So I waited like a week until it showed up. But yeah, there's that like that that piece that you just get when it, you're holding it, and there's this delivered product that somebody really worked to craft. And that that physical, tangible piece of it is pretty. It, it's a cool artifact, in my opinion. It's nice to have. Yeah, it definitely it definitely gives a a look to it, and I think that's I mean, there's a million things that are taking the place of that, and there's a million ways to be able to interact. I love that I'm able to talk with my favorite bands, and um, instead of just seeing them every six months, I'm able to discuss things with them, and, and things move faster, and you're able to do more. That's what I love about it, and uh, the people have listened to the podcast, they know that I don't think that it's bad. It's just a it's an interesting feeling to not ever know that. And I think it's it's worth repeating with a lot of these because you went through it. You then, as, as we talk about your later records, you were right in the shit with Makeout Club and Pure Volume yeah. and MySpace yeah. and all those <laughs> totally. all those things. And you oh, did yeah. experiment with those. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah. yeah. Did you, when you guys were, you know, because Deep Elm had a reputation and, uh, you know, the, the, the word emo diaries and the word emo, did you guys, were you guys at all worried when that started that that tag would get put onto you? Cause I always thought you guys were more, more punk, more like, like a Sam I am or like a, like it was more pop. It wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't emo. I mean, it, it was part yeah, of it, but it well, wasn't really. Definitely. Yeah. I, I, I think we always were just kind of whatever about it. I always loved bands that were, that were emo bands and that were in that category. So I never had this like aversion to it, but until I was in the presence of somebody questioning it and I felt stupid then I'd be like, Oh yeah, well, you know, emo stupid. Yeah. That's cool. But yeah. <laughs> you just had a thing of like, I don't know. I just, like I mentioned earlier, talking about coming out of that hardcore scene, those shows, like there was, there was hardcore and there was emo and they played these shows together. I mean, it wasn't uncommon that there was also like a ska band on the bill, and some weird metal band on the bill. Like it was just this scene of kids that just wanted to play music. And uh, yeah, I don't know. It's just, it, it was there. We always got billed as that and, you know, and reviews and, flyers um it never bothered me personally um and do you it, think it, it was it, a detriment for anything mm, I, I don't know i don't know if i care either <laughs> it was just kind of like this sort of it, it, it was there and we knew it was there and we knew we sort of fit in that category i didn't care if somebody liked us or didn't like us because of it i just wanted people to come to the shows and you know check it out and have fun because that was what we wanted i didn't care if somebody did or didn't think we were emo enough or if you know a lot of people had negative connotations with that too so it was like you know people would not like you because you were emo and um 
it, it was just a weird thing that I was just, I don't know, man. I just, I love music. <laughs> did you feel it change? It. Like, did you feel the, did you feel the sentiment change? Uh, was it a certain year or a certain record that you were record cycle that you were on that you, that you felt that? That's a good question. Um, maybe it, it, looking back, I, I, to answer your question, no, I don't think I felt it at the time, but looking back on it, I think that, um, dialing sounds, we were really like embracing that, um, in our songwriting and kind of really going towards like this, this sort of dynamic of this kind of quiet and loud sort of indie thing that we had always gravitated to. But I think this was like almost uh, a statement of that, of like, who cares if we're emo? Let's be emo and let's write really good emo songs and have fun with it. So we'll make an emo record. I, I don't know that that's the exact conversation we had, but that was definitely the attitude of just like, whatever, we're going to write the record we want. And, uh, is kind of emo so whatever <laughs> being remembered and being a part of something is better than being unknown or forgotten so it's like this oh yeah that's what's interesting about it when i've talked about it with other bands and and your answer is actually a little bit different than anyone i've ever had on it was like this sort of um most everyone else's responses was just like you know no like i I hated it or yes we loved it um and there was some gray area i think with some with some folks but i the reason i bring it up is you're at least remembered and i think there's people that are going to think of something and it's just for some reason that word has such a a polar opposite that you could get just as many people saying yes as just as many people saying no. And that I don't think that happens with metal. Like someone metal, you don't even need to, there's like, yeah, well, you're, metal. You're, you're totally right. When you were writing were when you talked about dial and sounds, you sort of thought about it and were reflecting on it. Did you, in those other recordings, if it was the EP or the EPs you were doing in, in 2000, 2002, uh, was it the, was it the militia group? Like, was there pressure to sound a certain way or do something because of what was happening? I mean, especially, you know, the last record, which I realized on your wiki page, Entertainment Weekly talked about it, which is amazing. Uh, you know, that's like, that's like high noon for like, you know, there was a, there was a pressure to do something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, we never felt pressured from, uh, from either label, honestly. Um, but yeah, the, the last record is definitely, um, an intentional sort of shift in direction. Um, you know, and I, I think, um, I, I love some of the records on that. There's some of the songs on that record and really, I'm happy with some of the, the songwriting. Um, I think some of the, the, you know, the stuff that people didn't like about that record, um, I think definitely didn't age well, but there are some tracks on that thing that I, I think are still pretty solid. But um, yeah, so that, that was definite, but that was just us. That was just us sort of at the end of a long journey and really wanting to push ourselves to do something different and something that didn't feel like we were following the same formula. And, um, it felt, it felt good while we were doing it. The reaction to it was not great, (laughs) but, uh, 
it felt good to do, and um, I'm glad we did it. You know, it, it, what a great way to do it. What a great way to go out. You know, to be able to say like, yeah, this is yeah, what we totally. want to do. And I mean, I'm sure some of those tours, there's some bands with some, some deep V necks and some uh, you know white belts toward the end. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, touring on that record was amazingly fun. Um, and because uh, because we had these new opportunities that we had never had, Militia really, um, like, I don't know how this happened, but they got us on these, like, awesome tours where we got to tour with uh, Further and with Paramore and like, just these, like, we we're playing to bigger, bigger audiences than we ever had before. Um, none of them really knew who we were and we did, I, I don't know. It was just a weird new dynamic from playing these and we weren't playing huge venues by any stretch. This was when Paramount was not the size they are now. They were still big, but they weren't, um, you know, these weren't stadium shows, <laughs> but, um, that, that, uh, a dynamic was different and new to us. And it felt like really exciting and like, okay, cool. Things are starting to happen. We're, we're able to get more exposure. We're playing to more people. This could be sustainable. Um, and then it just, it, it just got to a point where it just wasn't. And, uh, so what was it? Do you think? Um, honestly, I think we were just exhausted. Um, we were getting older. Um, I think Jared was, our, was our drummer. He wanted to kind of stop touring, um, get married and just kind of get settled. Um, and then I think all of us were just, you know, we were getting older. We had been doing it for over a decade. Um, we were all well into our thirties at that point. And, uh, you know, it was just, it was hard to, you know, come home repeatedly, you know, so, so broke. It, it didn't have the same, um, the same sort of charm it did when we were first starting out. And, uh, so I think it was just like the, that lifestyle was just getting harder and harder to, to be a realistic thing to maintain. Um, I think we're all just kind of at the end of, end of an era, I guess, of just being able to live in a van and sleep on floors and survive on 40 bucks a week. (laughs) (laughs) That's, that's fine to think that in your (laughs) thirties. Uh, we probably should have thought it a lot earlier, but um, it was fucking fun, man. I don't regret a second of it. <laughs> That's great to hear because I think, you know, I feel when Branston's brought up, it's interesting to see the response is, and it's, I won't do percentages, but it's when I'm posting something about them or I've read something similar or I've met someone, it's if they know them they're like super, super into it, like way into it. And then yeah, if they yeah. don't know them, it's, it's like they'd never heard. It's like it was right, def- right. or they might have heard about the emo diaries and that was it. I feel, and I guess there's more examples, but I think those were the main three that it was a, I think you guys weren't as big as, and I think things went a certain way. Um, and, uh, you know, that era that era was waiting for something else. Again, I joked about the deep V-necks and the, the white belts. That that's what that's 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 what they wanted, and I th- and for you guys to get through that and and still be together and still feel like you just said that we did everything we wanted to do. We did what we wanted with the last record. Like this is like what a great what a great feeling to not have it be negative. 
Right, right, right. Yeah. And, and I still see all of those dudes all the time. We're all still great friends. And um, yeah, to be able to like, we would see the dynamic of other bands we were touring with and a lot of them were great and had that, that same kind of brotherly like camaraderie, but you would see ones that just, there was one or two people that hated each other. <laughs> like, man, I don't get how you can do this. You can't do this unless you absolutely love the people you are with because you're with them for nonstop every second of the day. They're right next to you. They're sleeping next to you. They're eating next to you. You're driving with them. You're on stage with them. Like you've got to love these people. <laughs> so that, that dynamic was something that I think really kind of bonded us and really helped us kind of be able to weather that for so long because we just, we love doing it. And you're completely spot on. We weren't as big as a lot of the other bands around us. And it wasn't, um, it wasn't something that we were, you know, pulling in piles of cash. It was something that we just wanted to keep doing. And so we were able to, and it wasn't, you know, it wasn't this big payoff we were working towards. It was just, this is cool. This is what we want to do. And we're going to do it for as long as we can. You had to do it. It's that probably that same feeling when you guys were doing the last record, like we have to do this. Right. Exactly. You get the, you get that, that spark and that, that flash and you just, you follow it. You just go. So when you and I want to jump back to a record later um, that I had forgotten about until I did some research today uh, or the, the this past week when since breaking up you know uh, had you guys done any other shows since then and if you had I'm complete I blanked and you've done a few no things. no really yeah. no we have not done any shows since then uh, not as Branson we we've all been doing some music here and there but yeah no Branson shows since. Um, I think our last show was, I want to say it was February, uh, 2006. That was a Cleveland show with, um, this band called under the influence of giants. And, um, that was it. We played that show and then got together. Like, I think the next week and like, oh, let's kind of not book anything else for a while. <laughs> that was kind of it. <laughs> a while turned into a decade. <laughs> So what did you do since then? Like, how did you, I think this is another thing that bands uh, that are younger, maybe haven't gone through or, or it's always interesting to me sort of seeing like the, you know, coming back and I want to talk about the reissue. I want to talk about your record label, but right after that, what were you up to? What were you thinking? Yeah. So I think uh, I'm not sure for everybody, but for me, I went through a weird depression where my entire life that I knew for the last 10, 12 years was just done. And it was like this weird kind of like mourning or uh, grief period, I think, where I was just super depressed. I didn't know what to do with myself. I didn't really know how. And I've struggled with uh, actual clinical depression for as long as I can remember. But this was like a different bout of that, I would say, where I just kind of lost all motivation and was just kind of drinking too much and just just not happy, but also not sure what to do with myself. <coughs> Excuse me. 
Um, so I just kind of um, wallowed in that for a bit, got a job, um, and then sort of fell into a career out of that job um, doing uh, design, uh, product design for like software apps and uh, websites and stuff like that. Um, but I kind of started that just out of uh, this sort of, I got a couple freelance gigs and they turned into full time. And then I ended up getting, you know, enough work to keep me going <laughs> for the last 10 years. But uh, yeah, so we did that. Um, and then musically since then, um, it was basically all of Branson, um, except for Jared. It was the later in incarnation of Branson that was Adam on bass. Um, so we did this band called Swarm of Bats and that was, uh, me, Mike, Adam, and our original bass player, John. Um, and that was just kind of a, it's like kind of a garagey, uh, street rock kind of uh maybe hot snakes worship type band um and that was man that was super fun we all had a blast doing that we did that for maybe a year or so um and then john moved and uh we didn't keep it up and uh since then mike and adam had been doing a project called golden streets of paradise um kind of a death tinged alt rock type thing um really awesome really good band to watch live um it's been cool to see them grow um and then i've been doing some solo stuff uh with cool. one of my buddies uh as much as he's available uh we have a kind of an all instrumental um oh hell yeah uh it's called high praise um and i'm hoping to put out an ep i've got an ep's worth of songs done so i'm hoping to put that out at some point over the next year or so on the label so you've again i think you having that moment where you were like what the fuck am i doing and then you know those things but when you do stuff even how minuscule you might think it is something happens from it yeah yeah totally yeah and and, and i think that like i think i i I don't want to assume everybody's like this but i think people that make music, other people that not just music, any sort of art or creative thing, you have that, that drive where you just have to be making something. You have to be crafting somehow, something, some creative output. And if you're not, you're not happy. And I think that's what drives me constantly. And there's this balance of finding, finding the things that'll pay the bills and then finding the things that'll, you know, balance the, your sanity and give you some sort of creative outlet. So I think that's it, like looking at it from a position of mental health and mental well-being is I need I need this outlet. I need to be doing something. I need to be creating something whether it's music or art something to you know to to sort of feel balanced, I think. That's awesome. Talk about um, through the years. Uh, have you heard from people that have in the last ten years, you know, mentioned the band to you or reached out and emailed, or you or Mike? And um, is there anything yeah. that's happened? You know, recently, um, trying to think. Recently, there was uh, there's a, a coworker that um, just pulled me aside. He's like, 
dude, you were in Branson? He's like, I was a huge Branson fan. I used to go to your shows all the time. And I'd worked with this guy. Like, he was kind of new, but he had been there for a couple months. Um, but And I don't know how he even put the pieces together. But I was like, wow, that's crazy. That has not happened in a really long time. But yeah, man, every once in a while, um, something will happen. We, we played a lot in our hometown. So every once in a while, I'll be out and I'll see somebody in like an old Branson shirt or... Uh, have somebody come up to me um, and say hi that they were at a show or something, but you know, n- not all the time, but like that stuff is just super cool to know that somebody remembered that from, you know, at the very minimum 10 years ago. <laughs> um, that's super cool. And that really means a lot. Like that something stayed with somebody that long that we worked on me and my friends. Like that's awesome. That feels incredible. Yeah. And then with, the reissue that you're putting out for Fawn Star Collection um, that has demos and lyrics and photos. Were you were you saving stuff? Were you were you thinking about it in the moment that these things will make that I'll need these later, or were you just oh my god, I just happened to find these, or was it somebody else in the band that was more attuned to that? So we had I I had saved stuff for sure, but it was just in boxes and it's so weird how, how you process time because they were in these boxes that I had just taped up and just marked on. It's like Branson shit. And it's just all these old pictures and CDs and recordings. And I don't even know what was in these boxes until I went through them. But in my head, like, Oh, that box is like two years old. I know what's in there. I don't care. I don't need to go through it. Just move it, get it out of my way. Um, I can't remember how it came up, but I was hanging out with Mike and Adam the one night and we were, we somehow remembered that we had demos for fallen star collection somewhere. I was like, Oh, we should check those out. We were talking about how we were really unhappy with the, uh, the final recording on that, the, the mix on it just always sounded real thin and dry to us. Um, so we we're kind of thinking about that. Remembered we had these demos, um, dug them up. And I was like, man, these almost sound better than the actual album recording. I'm going to put these out. And we had had a couple people mention that it would be cool to have that on vinyl. Um, And then just selfishly for us, we thought it would be cool to have vinyl. Um, So just kind of started digging through everything. I was like, well, I'll get some pictures out for this. And I'm sure I've got some pictures from the time. And as I'm looking, I'm just finding all this stuff. I'm like, man, this is so cool and so fun. And just reliving so many really, really fun and fond memories um, of this time. And so I was like, I'm going to try, I'm going to pull everything I can from this era. Just kind of see what I can put together as far as a package to go with the record. Um, so it was super fun. Um, took a lot of work, but put together like uh, a photo book that goes with the album. It's a full set of demos. Um, and then I've just been wrapping up a, uh, a digital like ebook version of the, the photo book that I'm going to include with the downloads. Um, so people can look through that that prefer it, but um, it was a super fun and super uh, just just really exciting to re- revisit this stuff and look back at it and it feels like yesterday, but it was you know twenty years ago. <laughs> you mentioned the you know time plays an interesting thing to that. It, it it is when you you essentially shut you didn't shut it, but things had happened. But you put it in a box and you didn't look at it, and then 
10 if, if you had looked at it six months later you would have had the same feeling and put the box back on the shelf and but because it was so much longer and it wasn't even a i don't think it's a nostalgia either it was those feelings that we talked about earlier those probably started to fill you again each time you looked at another photo looked at the lyric sheet or whatever you were looking through it kind of brought that feeling back good and bad right oh yeah for sure absolutely man i mean just a glance at some of these pictures i'm like I, I see a picture of our van and i'm like i can smell how disgusting this picture looks just from looking at it and like there's a picture of us all sitting at denny's and like i can i can feel the greasy ass laminated menu in front of me like it, it's so tactile just a glance like how how vivid those sort of memories come back to you really cool and those are important and i think you and the band whoever was saving those um you don't think about it in the moment and especially without without the phone i think i've 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 argued this at work with with people that i talk about i'm like you might think you have your phone and you're getting everything but you might not be in that right space to think about what that, where you are and what that photo will be in 10 years or five years or even next year when you get that memory back from right. Mark, Mark Zuckerberg reminds you that you took that photo and you're somewhere. Even that, <laughs> right. even that does it, but you're right. There's something tactile to it and, and vivid and in the moment, you're maybe mad at the bass player for something or you're just so tired from the night before and the floor, but it's, it's interesting what you're right, what time does. And for you to be able to put that together, that must be a nice bookend. Um, and for you guys to get together and do that, was there anything else that sort of happened from it, from you guys going through all those things and, and putting it together? No, not so much. I, I did find, um, I did find a handful of other tracks and like cover songs that um, we have that I'm trying to figure out if I want to do something with those. Um, if I want to do an actual release or just like put up digital versions or what. Um, but yeah, just, just find some cool stuff to sift through. Um, I, I'd really like to, uh, to get us back on stage at some point together. Um, but every time I brought it up, it hasn't, really been the right time uh, for various reasons. <laughs> what happened? So, what, what's going on? I'm going to, uh, oh, just, you know, just family things and, uh, you know, work commitments and finding the time with, uh, you know, Jared's got two kids now and just, it's just hard to find time with everybody's schedule. So it, I think it's something that I'd love to see happen. And I want to do, um, but I, I got to get some commitments and then we got to like, really hammer out a plan that we can stick with because I know how it, it, it's almost impossible just to get the four of us together just to meet up for a drink or something. And, uh, you know, everybody, life's just crazy for everybody. Yeah. Today, so. No, it gets harder as it, you, you forget. I mean, I've in college, I, you know, you think you're busy. Or school, you think you're busy? Yeah, right. You're yeah. not. Oh yeah. my god! Anyone no. listening right now yeah. that's in school, fucking stay in there as long as you can. Yeah, just g- yeah, fail yeah, out and go yeah. back or whatever. Get your parents to pay you right. more. Stay as long as you can. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, totally. Fuck totally. Off as much as you can. <laughs> yeah, 
do it, man. <laughs> so the last yeah. one I was going to ask is uh, the you're putting this out on your label that you started, Steadfast. So I had started the label, I want to say it was 95 or 96, way back in the day when I first started getting into hardcore. Uh, like I said, I went at it pretty head first. And um, soon after, just started my own label, put out a couple seven inches, and um, eventually put out the first Branson thing. Um, and then once we started touring, I, I couldn't do it. I, it was, it was hard to do to begin with. It was not, uh, financially viable for some, you know, 19 year old kid that doesn't know anything about running a business <laughs> to try to run a business, but it was fucking fun. And I put out some cool records that I was really excited to get to be a part of. Um, but then I quit doing it when we started doing Branson full time. I just, I, I couldn't focus on both and do both of them the right way. So I put the label to sleep and um, hadn't really done anything with it in forever. Um, and then back in uh, 2017, Mike and Adam were ready to put out their uh, Golden Streets of Paradise record. And um, we're talking about um, maybe shopping into a label, maybe putting it out themselves, trying to figure out what to do. Um, and it was around that time that I had... I think I found one of those boxes and started going through it. And I, I put out, um, if you're familiar with the Banzeo, I put out some of their early stuff and I was like, Oh man, this is not streaming anywhere. I should get this up streaming so people can hear this because completely different recording. It's not available. Um, so I'd started thinking about that and then it just kind of happened. It was like this late night hangout discussion that just turned into, all right, we've got the record. We're, going to put it out somehow you're thinking about starting a label let's just do this together um so we just kind of over that conversation just decided to i was relaunching the label and putting out their record as kind of my first comeback release um and it's been super fun ever since i put out a few things um here and there and now about to do this uh branson vinyl reissue and it's been just just a really cool fun way to be connected with music without having to, you know, be on tour and have it consume, you know, more of my life than I can give it right now. Yeah. I think, I mean, that, that's again, you're, you're filling that void. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's, and that's, it's perfect for that because it's this, I'm doing everything. I'm, and I, I'm, I don't say that in a bragging way. I say that and I'm, I'm doing these things that, I don't have somebody else to do, so I have to do them and half the time I don't know how or what I'm doing. So I have to go figure out this new thing and it's cool. So I'm like, I'm learning on the job almost with all the, um, picking up all these new things. And, um, it, it's kind of this exciting hustle of like, okay, I want to make this happen. I'm going to do it somehow. I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm going to figure it out. I've been pretty lucky so far and we've got some awesome people to give me some awesome help. So, it's just been it's been fun like you said it's 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 a good uh, outlet for that um i think the other the other you know piece like you you're right getting these things streamed because a lot of those records those labels died and the band's gone but these are like really important not the band's gone but you know some, there's all these situations where it just it wasn't like they were saving anything or um it just kind of goes poof and f- these things are lost yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I it, it, it's 
it's such a weird, um, a, a weird archival <laughs> that used to exist with physical media. And now it's just like, uh, I don't know. It's, it's either there or it isn't there. And, uh, it, there was some dispute or some legal thing and some record got pulled and now you can't listen to it anymore. And it's not available unless you want to shout out 300 bucks on Discogs for it. <laughs> like there's, you know, there's this upside and downsides to it because it's fucking awesome that you can listen to almost anything, whatever. But but then there's you know, shit you, that you like know. there isn't Jejune anywhere on streaming. No, yeah, or Karate. Yeah, that, like there's a bunch no, of these oh, records. Man. There's a bunch of these records that are just not there. And I want if you're going to try to tell a complete story about a genre or a band or a group, and it's 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 hard when it's yeah. like, well, I've got it on my hard drive that I've rip the CD right. from and yeah. the CDs are at my mom's house. But other than that, right. right. It's, yeah, totally. Yeah. So I think for you doing yeah, the Zayo thing so. and you getting your record sort of out and how did you get it back from deep Elm? So I just licensed it to do the vinyl. Got um, it. They still so have the streaming. I'm not streaming. Yeah. Yeah. He's doing that. Um, I'm streaming the demos. Just it, we own those. And so that wasn't an issue, but yeah, I'm putting the demos up on our uh, band camp and the, uh, the vinyl, will come with us got it the demos got it that's cool Um, so yeah yeah what do you want to do next what's i mean and not just the label not just um you know what are you aspiring for what are you sort of excited about or looking forward to next well i want to keep i want to keep going i i I like the pace that i've kind of established with this where i'm putting some stuff out i've got like the zeo and the branson are kind of bigger releases for me and then in in between those i've got a couple like cassette releases with bands that nobody gives a shit about or knows about and um so so that's kind of fun i want to keep that up i i really like what i've been able to establish with that um and then otherwise i um i'm married i my wife and i just uh moved this spring got a, a little bit of a bigger backyard and want to do some more gardening um i've been growing food the last couple of years at my prior home um so you know just doing stuff like that and uh you know just finding finding these ways to uh to connect and to create and to just keep making things to kind of keep my my own sanity in check because it it really helps with that it really helps with uh just depression and anxiety is to just for me, I, I, you know, obviously it's different for everybody, but for me, it, it's really helpful and therapeutic to just be, to be making something um, in whatever sense that is. I go through different phases where I'm consumed with different hobbies. Um, I was brewing beer for a while. I love doing that. Um, I cook a lot of food, just getting into, you know, making the best like vegan ramen I can come up with or the best like homemade bread I can come up with different things like that to me all kind of have that connection of I'm creating something and I'm working really hard to to produce this final product and that final product is usually I want something I want to share with somebody and it's in whatever context it is whether it's food or music um but that feels good to me so I don't know I just want to keep doing that for as long as I possibly can you do know. You just said it. <laughs> that was yeah, beautiful. Yeah, exactly. That was beautiful, man. Yeah. That was beautiful. No, you're, you're totally good. No, that's awesome. that's what I wanted you to do. I wanted you to sort of uh, do that in that way. So no, that that was that was perfect. 
Awesome, man. Awesome. <laughs> so two things I'm going to bring up that well, I, I'm, I'm going to bring up real quick. The yeah. Seven Story Mountain Camber 7-inch. Oh, yeah. I didn't fucking know about that until I went on your wiki page today to brush up on something. I was like, oh, let me check out this real quick. Yeah. Let me just, I was like, wait a minute. I'm a huge Seven Story Mountain fan. And... And Dude, Camber, and I never Fair knew enough. about it. And then yeah. I go and look. Did you know he's still making music? No, is he? There's a release oh, from 2015, awesome. gotta... and it says they're still making music. I listened to it right before I called you, and I'm like, Oh shit! I gotta go check that out. Do you still Man, talk I to him? Story no, no. I, in fact, I don't know that I've ever talked to him. I was so excited to be a part of that because. That that uh that Art Monk construction seven inch I can't remember what the name of it is but man that thing was like that thing hit me hard I was like same and then they were on the don't forget to breathe comp yeah 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 that song on there was incredible um yeah so when uh, Dethel mentioned that I was like oh my god are you kidding that's amazing I love that band yes yes let's do anything we can um. So yeah, that that was super cool. But yeah, you're right. That's that's one of those things that um, nobody really knows about that record. And there's some cool stuff on there. The Camber songs are fucking rip, and Camber is just the best dudes ever. We did some shows with them early on, and they were just such cool guys to be around. Love those guys. Cool man. I I really really appreciate you doing this, and it was awesome. Really fun talking to you. Washed up emo fans, thank you for listening to this podcast over the last nine plus years. Or if it's your first time, welcome. It has flown by, and I appreciate each and every one of you for listening. And for this current episode you're about to hear, I do have a favor of you. I have some books out right now called Anthology of Emo, and Volume 2 was released last fall. I really think you'll dig it if you haven't heard of them. It features guests from the podcast, including Jim Atkins from Jimmy World, Chris Conley from Saves the Day, Travis Shettle from Piebald, and John Bunch from Sensefield. I've also reprinted volume one so you can order both check out the diy publishing at anthologyofemo.com